Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Good morning, Second Service. How you doing today? You doing good? Boise State won this weekend? It's a good day to be alive. Uh, we had a great wedding just last night. Our very own Matt and Angel Murphy just got married last night. I think they're on their honeymoon today. And uh, so excited for them. A lot of good things happening right now at Capitol Church. And so good to be here. If you don't know me, my name is Mark and my wife, Rochelle. Can you guys say hi to my wife, Rochelle? She is my wife of 12 years as of last week. 12 years. Same woman. Come on, somebody. That's awesome. Praise God. And uh, life just keeps getting better and better. And uh, we have two beautiful little girls. And it is a privilege. I've been on staff here for a long time. Been at Capitol Church since I was uh, 18 years old. I'm 33 now. I do look like I'm 32. Never gets old. Someone's like, yes, it does. Um, but it's so good to be here with you this morning. Pastor Chris asked me if I would be able to share this morning. And uh, I, I told him, absolutely, my favorite people in the whole world live in Idaho. Best looking people live in the world. Come on, right here in Idaho. And uh, man, I'm just telling you, I love this place so much. I love Pastor Chris, love Pastor Kelly. Anybody else? If you don't know Pastor Chris and Kelly, you get to know them. They are probably the nicest people you'll ever meet. And they are uh, triple threats. Pastor Chris is good looking, like a GQ model. He's, uh, he's brilliant, one of the greatest thinkers of our time, and phenomenal communicator. And then he married Pastor Kelly, which may be his greatest accomplishment. And Pastor Kelly, she, uh, she preaches paint off. We have to repaint the building every time she speaks. And uh, she's a phenomenal mom. And I'll tell you, man, one thing I love about Pastor Kelly is she's one of the greatest bakers in our city. And I really, I try to really be close to Pastor Kelly just so she bakes me birthday cake every year. It's one of the great privileges I have being in the family. But hey, this morning's going to be a good day. If you believe it, say amen. If you knew this morning in the Capitol, what do, what do I expect, Mark? Well, I'm going to open up the Bible. We're going to go to Acts chapter 16 this morning. Uh, to the New Testament. And I'm going to talk to you today about good outcomes. Is that all right? Who likes good outcomes? Good outcomes. I want to talk to you about that this morning. And uh, if you're new to our church, I'm going to read for about a minute and a half out of Acts 16. We're talking about two guys by the name of Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas. i got to give a shout out to, where's my junior hires? That was GCB Junior High. Love you guys so much. Love those guys. Um, Acts 16 is where we're going to read. I'm going to pray. The great scholar MC Hammer said, we have to pray just to make it today. And I will pray right after I read for a minute and a half. I'm going to tell a couple stories. I'm going to talk for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. We're going to pray at the end. And here's the agreement today. I'm not a boring preacher, so if you get bored today, you're boring. Amen? Just kidding. Seriously, though. But uh, we're going to have a good time, man. If you believe in taking notes, uh, Harvard did a couple studies that if you take notes in church, you'll marry someone better looking. Encourage you to do that. And uh, one time I shared the story, but one time a lady was like, What if you're already married? I was like, Man, awkward moment in church. Let's keep the bus rolling. If you're new today to our church, uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Mark, and we're going to have a good time today. If you believe it, say amen. I want to encourage you if you hear something good this morning, you can say, Yeah, I like that. You can talk back to the preacher. They say, Teachers tell it, preachers yell it. And so I get a little excited in here today. Uh, don't let the Caucasian skin fool you. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Black preacher trapped inside. I got to get him out. And so uh, we're going to have a good time today. If you got your Bible, Acts chapter 16. If you're there, say I'm there. Awesome. So good to be with you this morning. 
I think I covered everything I need to cover. Acts 16, I'm going to read it for a minute and a half. That could be a minute and a half longer than you've ever read your Bible, but there's no judgment here. And so Acts chapter 16, reading about Paul and Silas, let's read today about good, actually before I get into this, I actually preached this message last Sunday. I was in Las Vegas, and I preached at Benny and Wendy Perez's church. I spoke once Saturday night, spoke three times Sunday morning, and then I spoke downtown at 7 p.m. about a mile from the Strip. I was actually supposed to be on the Strip eating dinner, maybe driving by the Mandalay Bay uh, when the shooting happened. And so it was a pretty wild night in Las Vegas. Uh, I, it was one of the craziest nights of my life. And uh, I'll be honest with you, some, some of you are here today like, Mark, this is crazy. What's happening in the world? And I got to let you know, on, on weeks like this week, there's no better place to be than in God's house. Because I got a good news for you today that regardless of how dark society gets, how evil the world gets. I love Timothy Keller says this. He says, God will use evil ultimately to do the opposite of what it was intended to do. We believe in a God that has the ability to turn the darkest hours of your life into some of your brightest moments. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't even know why, but I know this, that God is big enough to turn even the darkest hours of Las Vegas into his favor and turn it into his sovereign goodwill. If you believe it, say amen. Give God a hand clap this morning. This is, not, this is not made up. I actually preached on Sunday all weekend on good outcomes. Good outcomes. And 124 people in five services gave their lives to Jesus. It was one of the greatest, uh, one of the bigger salvation weekends at their church. And uh, I believe, come on, how many know that when darkness is dark, light shines even brighter? So this morning, Acts chapter 16, I want to talk to you. I believe that this morning this message is going to help somebody today. And it's going to build you up. It's going to encourage you. And I actually believe that everyone in the room, regardless if you're old or you're young, this message should land somewhere in your life. And so Acts 16, if you're ready to go, say, I'm ready. says in verse 9, chapter 16, reading about Paul and Silas, it says, in a vision. In a what? Whenever a preacher pauses, that's your cue. And in a vision or a dream appeared to Paul in the night, a man in Macedonia stood and pleaded with us, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And help us. Us. Now, after we had seen the vision, immediately, key word there, immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So as they went to Philippi, the foremost city in Macedonia, it says in verse 14 that they got there, began to teach the women. Now, a certain woman whose name was Lydia, Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple. Can we pause? If you sell a color... You're doing pretty good. You have arrived in life. Your business card says seller of purple. We'll keep going. Just want to make that point. She sold purple, people. From the city, if you can pronounce that, who, was, who worshiped God, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it was... As we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and us, cried out to us, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. This she did for many days. But Paul, being greatly annoyed. How many glad that's in the Bible? We have a biblical basis, people, to be greatly annoyed. 
Greatly annoyed, turned aside and said to the spirit, said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. Skip down to verse 22. Then the multitude after this happened rose up together with the magistrates, tore off Paul and Silas' clothes, and commanded them to be beaten with rods for the good deed that they did. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, say with me, at midnight. Some of you have heard this passage preached before. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, likely Hillsong, let's be honest. Hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed and the keeper of the prison, supposing that everyone was gotten away, uh, grabbed a sword and was getting ready to commit suicide. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, we're all here. Then he called for a light. The, the, the jailer ran in, fell in trembling before Paul and Silas and said to him, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Watch how easy this is. How do I become a Christian? Paul says, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How many grateful it's easy? You don't have to go on a two-year mission. You don't have to read 14 books. You don't, you don't need to know the Bible cover to cover. You don't need to know 31,102 verses that are in the Bible. All he says is this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved, and I love this, you and your household. God is the God of households. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. He took them that same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all of his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into the house, he set food before them, likely in and out burger. Can I get an amen? And he rejoiced, having believed God with all of his household. Let's pray this morning. We're going to have a good time. If you believe it, say let's go. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to preach at my favorite church in the world, my home church. I love Capital, Lord. I love the people that make Capital this community. And I'm asking right now whether this is our first time ever in church. Maybe the events of this week prompted us to go to church this weekend. Or maybe we come every single week. I ask you that you would meet us where we are. I pray we'd have a good time, maybe even laugh today. But ultimately, we would leave saying, I'm glad I came to church this morning. In Jesus' name, if you believe at church, say amen. 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 Come on, say amen. amen. You ever done something before that sounded good until you did it? Who's been there before? You ever thought this is going to be a good idea until you started doing it? And you're like, this is a bad idea. This is how I feel every time I go to Disneyland. Disney World. Now, I married into a family that's got D Disney in their blood. My wife, if, like people ask, what would you do if you won the lottery? I would live at Disney World. You wouldn't see me anymore. We'd buy a house at Disney World. My, my wife and I, we'd probably be like, we'd be there every single day. Not because I want to, but because my wife loves, my daughters love Disneyland and Disney World. Disneyland always sounds like a good idea until you go. You have to refinance your house to afford it. There's longer lines than the California DMV. There's more demon-possessed children at Disneyland than in the Bible. I'll tell you, Disneyland is a people trap set by a mouse. It's what it is. It's a setup. They got good rides. They got bad rides. I like Splash Mountain. I like, I like Space Mountain. I don't like Dumbo. I don't like Dumbo. You wait two hours to go in circles three times. You get off the ride. You feel like Dumbo. 
I'll be honest, man, my kids, I have a two-year-old and a nine-year-old. People say, why do you go to Disneyland? I'm like, because I love my kids. If you go to Disney by yourself, we call those people weirdos. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Just kidding. Seriously, though. People always ask, well, Mark, why don't you like, it's expensive, man. You get there. Who's ever taken the picture in front of the, who took the $40 picture when you first walk in? Someone take that picture in front of the Rose Garden. And Disney's always the same way. You have high highs, low lows. People say it's a magical place. I agree. It's the only place in the world that you can walk 72 miles in 12 hours in 100 in hell temperatures and still gain weight. It is a magical place. I agree with you. It's a magical place. People always ask, why do you go? Because I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, what's your favorite ride, Mark? I'm like, my, my favorite ride at Disney has always been the ride home. Every time, I just want to get in the car, I want to leave. Like, just get me out of here. I want to go home. I'm serious. My wife's like, this is so, it was such a good day. And I'm like, you got short-term memory. <laughs> my two-year-old was demon-possessed, foaming, weeping, and gnashing of the teeth, melting down. I'm in an ice cream parlor. I spent, four, I spent $500 to sit in air conditioning and be happy. It's irony here. And uh, I'll be honest, man. You go to Disney, and your kids are having a blast. They're melting down. There's high highs, low lows. But it's interesting. You always go, you're like, this is a good idea until you go. Like, this is a bad idea. But it's interesting that our humanity, the way that we're wired, the way that God engineered us, is that we always, after the high highs, the low lows, the expenses, the, the laughs, the cries, the heavenly experiences, and the experiences from hell. You always get in your car at the end of the day, look back at your kids that are sleeping, and somehow, regardless of the low lows, you always say, that was worth it. Isn't it funny? Every time we go, I'm like, I'll never do this again until, after the, until we're done. And then like, you know what we should do? We should go to Disneyland again. What happened to me? Jesus said deception would run rampant in the last days. And I believe him. I, uh, I love this, man, because it, it, it's high highs, low lows. It's kind of like Acts chapter 16. There's very high highs. There's very low lows. But there is an incredible outcome. Say outcome. There's a great outcome in Acts 16. We see Paul and Silas. They pretty much, it starts with a dream. They go through all these seasons. I'm gonna talk to you this morning about seven seasons. I actually believe everyone in this room today are in one of these seasons. And if you're not in one, you're in two. If you're not in two, you're three. And the way that this works is usually these seasons are perpetual, meaning that if you're not in one of them now, you're in the next one. But once you go through all the seasons, if you do it right, usually you end up starting over again. And I'll explain that. But it, it says it's pretty powerful uh, about outcomes. Someone say outcomes. I want you to know this today, that God isn't just interested in where you are. He's interested in where you're going to end up. That's a good parent right there. Parent that's like, you know, I'm only going to watch my kids while they're here. But when they leave the house, I don't really care. I want you to know that God is interested not just in where you are right now. That's why Paul says in Philippians, he who began a good work in you. He started it. He'll see it through. He'll finish it. God's interested not just in where you are right now, but where you end up down the road. He actually, you know what it means to be blessed? It says in Psalms chapter one, it's my grandparents' favorite chapter in the Bible. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of God or stands in the path of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree, right, planted by the rivers of water, whose leaf shall not wither. Whatever he does, whatever he does, whatever he shall prosper. It's interesting that when you're blessed, it's blessed. It deals with the end of a thing, not the beginning of a thing. To be blessed doesn't mean that you don't go through storms. I, we live in a day and age where people are like, well, if you're Christian, you don't go through storms. That's a lie. 
I want you to know that ships are safe in the harbor, but they weren't built for the harbor. And I'll tell you right now that a smooth ocean has never made a skilled sailor. And some of you today, you're like, Mark, my life is crazy right now. Does that mean God's not with me? The answer is no. You know that God was with Job? Do you know that Job was blessed? Some of you didn't even know he was Job. You thought he was Job. Like, I don't read that book because I don't want one of those. Some of you don't read the book of Job because you think that what happened to him is going to happen to you. Do you know that Job was blessed? How do you know he lost everything? It was like a country western song. Lost his kids, his dog died, and things happened, you know? His pickup truck got repossessed. It was crazy. But you know what I love about the book of Job is Job, at the end of his life, was in a better position than he was in the beginning. This, ladies and gentlemen, has to deal with outcomes, I got news for you today. You're like, Mark, I went through a divorce. I got good news. God is a God of outcomes. Mark, I'm in a desperate situation. Good news. You're not dead yet. And as long as you're sucking air, it's not over. He is a God of outcomes. Can I get a good amen? How do you know? Because, well, there's seven stages that Paul and Silas go through. If you're taking notes, I'm going to go through them pretty fast. I talk fast because your kids have short attention spans. And I'm a youth pastor. Amen. But I'll let you know today, there's seven seasons. First season is this. We know that in the, in the story it says in verse 9, it says, In a dream appeared to Paul a man from Macedonia that said to, said to us, Come here and help and help and us. I want you to know that I believe that life, they say, you've heard it said, the two most important days of your life is the day that you're born. Second most important day is the day that you realize why you were born. And I want you to know that God has a dream for everything that he makes. I believe that everything great in life starts with a dream. If I can't get a Pentecostal, amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. I'll take a Presbyterian eyebrow raise. Come on, give me something this morning. I'll take a Latter-day Saint deep breath. Come on, help me out this morning. Everything great in life starts with a dream. I actually believe that God honors dreams because, because that's what he gives. Jesus speaks the language of dreams. God will speak to you in a way, and listen to me, you always know if a dream comes from God because the dream will be bigger than you are. I'll tell you right now, you want to find a discouraged, depressed person, I'll show you someone with no vision or no dream. The Bible says without vision, people die, people perish, people commit suicide, people give up on life. Ecclesiastes 3 has 28 seasons in life, and in 28 seasons, there is not a season to quit. Are you following me today? I'm telling you right now that God has a dream for your life. Mark, I'm too old to dream. The Bible says your old man will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So if you get visions, you're young still. If you're dreaming, you're old. It's a little litmus test there. I'll let you know today, how do you know if it's from God, Mark? How do you know if a dream is from God? Two things about God's dreams. Number one, how do you know if it's God's dream? Point one is this, is that if you can accomplish it without help from God, it's not God's dream. You can get there by yourself, by your bootstraps. What does that mean, by the way? Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. What does boots on the ground mean, anyways? I saw in the news the other day, they're like, we need to put more boots on the ground overseas. I'm like, we should do that. I think we should fill airplanes up full of boots. (laughs) Just drop boots on our enemies. (laughs) Just oceans of boots, people drowning in boots. We surrender, there's boots on the ground. We'll keep going, I'm sorry, that was funny. I, uh, I'll let you know that, uh, that dreams, actually, I think dreams, everything great in your life starts with a dream. First thing about God dreams is they're always bigger than you are. 
They're beyond your education. They're beyond your experience. They're beyond your IQ. They're beyond your friendships. I'm telling you right now, when you, when you discover the dream that God has for your life, it's always much bigger than you are. God gives big dreams because big dreams honor God. Because if you could achieve it without God, guess who gets credit for it? But when you get something in life and do something in life that's so beyond yourself that everyone's scratching their head, saying what people did at my wedding day, right? How did that, how did that happen to that guy? How did Mark do that? All my family was saying that to me. Thank you, guys. How did he do that? You know when you know it's God's dream is you accomplish something that's beyond you. Second thing that we need to know as Americans is God's dream is always not only, it's not only bigger than you, but it always was designed not just to help you. We're talking to Americans today. What's the American dream? Bill, do what you want to do. Become great for yourself. Make a way for yourself. Notice it says in the dream, verse 9, a man from Macedonia came in the dream and said, come over here and help. Help. Notice that God's dreams aren't just about helping yourself. They're about helping other people. And if your, if your dream is only about making your life better, I would suggest that maybe it's not God's dream. Because God's dream isn't just about making your life better, your world better. It's about making his world better. It's good preaching today. Can I get an amen? Second thing we know about this is they go from a season of dreaming, which, by the way, if you want to speed up the process of life of getting more dreams, then number two is really important. They made a decision, and I think it's verse, uh, verse 10. It says, immediately, immediately we decided this is from God, and they got in their ship and they left. I learned this. Number two thing that's important to God is this, this O word. We don't talk about it much. It's called obedience. Obedience. I'll tell you right now, many people think, Mark, Christianity is about how much you know. It's actually not. Spiritual maturity is not dictated by how much you know. Spiritual maturity is, is gauged by how much of what you know you actually live out. Are you following me right now? Pastor Chris, one of the smartest Christians I know, he says, we actually need to know less and do more. Because we're in an era right now that we have more teaching and preaching and leadership and, and books and, and uh, opportunities and Wikipedia. We can get our hands on any type of material. Why is it we have the greatest teaching on earth, but we have some of the most immature Christians ever? It's because we know way more than we obey. Obedience is a big deal. Someone say, obey. I don't know if there's any parents in here, but have you ever heard this phrase from your kids? I'll do it. There's no enthusiasm when you said that. <laughs> You all knew, you're like, I'm not even going to say it. It makes me mad. <laughs> I'll do it later. That, that, can I just tell you, that phrase came from hell. Kenzie, brush your teeth. I'll do it later. I'm like, no, you won't. Later means never. I'm preaching to someone this morning. Later means never. That's our way of being spiritual in church. We're like, well, God told me to do this, but I'm not going to do it. I'll do it later. God's like, later means never. And I'll let you know, if you want more dreams from God, you got to make a decision today. Go, you know what, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. Mary gives some of the greatest theological advice in the Bible. She says to his disciples, hey, whatever he tells you to do, Nike that thing. Just do it. Just do it. Swish it. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Can I let you know a secret, theological secret? Write this down. Whatever God asks me to do is for my benefit in the long run. Do you know that God doesn't ask you for anything that he needs? Can we all establish that? Let's establish something else. God asks you a question. It's not because he doesn't know the answer. Well, God asked me what I wanted in life. Uh, he already knows what you want. He wants to talk to you about what you want. Can I let you know a secret today? If God asks you to do something, it's not for your benefit or just for his benefit. It's for your benefit. 
How many know there's a good parent in here when, your kid, when you ask your kids to do something? One of the greatest privileges we get is when they obey you that you can reward them. Do you know why God, I think, actually looks for obedience? Because he's a God that delights in rewarding. How many know that when you spoil your kids for doing what, what, or not doing what you ask them to do, that's called bad parenting? Hey, clean your room, I'll take you to Toys R Us. And they don't clean their room. And you take them anyways. And you think you're doing your kid a favor by giving them what they didn't obey. You know what you're doing is you're establishing a bad, bad, habit, a bad habit, a bad thought process. You're rewarding bad behavior. Mark, I thought Christianity isn't about works. No, it's not. You don't get saved by what you do. Let's establish that. You're not saved by good works. But if you're a Christian today, you are saved for good works. There's a difference. So I don't make my way to heaven by, by doing something. But I do believe that when I, when I obey God, I can bring some of heaven down to earth. Obedience is a big deal. I'll be honest, you never get to an age in your life, you're like, it's easy to obey. It's funny, isn't it? It's one thing you never outgrow. It's like, man, it's going to be easy to obey God today. I've learned that it doesn't matter how, what he asked me to do, every season of life, it seems like his ask gets bigger. I said that clearly, okay? <laughs> it gets bigger. God will keep asking me for something bigger and bigger and bigger. Right when it gets easy to say yes to one thing, he's like, okay, let's do something bigger. Why? Because God will ask you, because God's interested in obedience. Why does God like obedience so much? Because it unlocks the next season of life. What's the next season of life? It's called favor. Who likes seasons of favor? Oh, we'll turn into a Pentecostal real church real quick in here. You say favor in church, people get excited. I want favor, man. Preach favor. I'll tell you, you know what favor lands on? Write this phrase down. Favor will land on the obedient eventually. You know, we think sometimes, though, we're like, well, Mark, it didn't happen fast enough. That's what makes God who he is. It means his timing isn't our timing. Are you following me today? Well, Mark, I obeyed God, and I went to church for one service, and my life wasn't drastically altered. Mark, the preacher said if I tithe, that I would get out of a bad financial situation, and I tithe two weeks consecutively. My life's not in a better place yet. Can I just ask you a question? Did that all happen the same way when you went to the gym in January? So I neglected my physical health for 47 years. I went to the gym three times. And for some reason, I looked the same. I'm firing my trainer. Trainer's like, you can't fire me. I quit, you know? Why is it that when it pertains to natural things, we're like, absolutely, that's stupid. But when we carry it over to the things of God, well, I obeyed his voice two times. It didn't go the way that I wanted it to go, so I stopped doing it. Can I just let you know that when you obey God's voice, favor will eventually land on you. It could take a moment, a day, an hour, a week, but I promise you, you obey long enough and watch how his favor reigns on your life. It says, whatever he does shall prosper. Whatever. You're in business, prospering. You're an accountant, prospering. You're in ministry, prospering. You're a stay-at-home mom, follow me, prospering. Whatever, last in the Greek, it literally means whatever. In the Hebrew language, whatever means theologians in here today. Whatever he does shall prosper. What, Mark, well, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know if I favor, how do you know that favor comes? Because the Bible says they obeyed the dream. Are you still with me today? And they get to Macedonia, and it says, Lydia, a woman who sold purple starts to support Paul's ministry. Now, I'm a pastor, and if you own a color, let's talk after service. 
Because I'll tell you, a good day when you're a pastor or a church planner or you're a, a church leader or you're a missionary or an evangelist or you're like, you're traveling the world for Jesus, one of the greatest days of your life is when someone that's, that has a lot of resources goes, hey, whatever you want to do in life, I'm going to get behind you. That's like being a startup company and having a chief funder that goes, hey, I don't know what your product is, but I believe in you, so whatever you do, I'm going to support you. Someone say favor. Paul's eyes get big. She's like, oh, by the way, stay at my house. I live in Eagle. She goes to Lydia's house. Lydia's whole family gets saved. They get baptized. What happens next, Mark? Is when you experience a season of favor, it'll always lead you to point four, a season of faith. Do you know why I think God gives us unusual favor in seasons? I actually believe this. Because God wants to elevate your faith for what's to come. You ever experience favor on an unusual level and you're like, my God, if you could be, if you're this interested, Jesus, in these minute details in my life, I can trust you with anything. You've been this good to me in my marriage, man, I'll trust you with my kids. If I can trust you with my kids, I can trust you with my business. If I can trust you with my, man, God, you're, you're worthy of everything. If you can trust him on a small way, you can trust him in the big things. And some of you are like, Mark, I don't know, man. I'm experiencing favor right now. Why? Because God wants to elevate your faith. What happened when Lydia favored Paul? He walked a prayer, his shoulders back. He was well-rested from her $4,000 mattress, right? He's excited. He's well-fed. He's, he's, he's prayed up. He's like, God's favoring us in Macedonia. I obeyed the dream. And on the way to the prayer meeting, there's a girl that follows him for days. She's the girl from that movie, The Exorcist. Her head spins around. She foams at the mouth. She's cray-cray. She has the booth at the fair. Come on, a little psychic booth at the fair. She likes to read people's fortunes. She's powerful, but the power she has doesn't come from God. We're stopping right here. There is another power in this world that's not Jesus. Some of you have experienced that power before. But I want you to know that it will always be a counterfeit, second-class power. Because the greatest power on the earth does not come from the one that was created. It comes from the one that created everything. Lucifer has power, but listen to me. He's, got a, he's also got an allowance of time, too. And it's some of you are like, Mark, I've seen, I've seen demonic things. I've seen crazy things. I've seen scary things. And I want you to know today, those things are real. They exist. That's why I'm not into horror movies. Mark, you scared of them? No, I just think that a lot of the stuff in horror movies is real. And I'm not going to glorify a second-class power. I get tired of horror movies that make men and women of God look weak. I'm like, Hollywood, if we're going to depict this accurately, let's read the Bible. Last time I checked, uh, Jesus wasn't on the run from demons. Demons were on the run from Jesus. Let's just maybe let's get this accurate a little bit, all right? A season of faith. Notice he doesn't, he doesn't counsel it out. I think counseling is great. We need counselors. We need therapists. But I also believe as a pastor there are some things in your life that can't, maybe won't be counseled out that need God's, heaven's authority to cast it out of you. Notice that Jesus' ministry wasn't unique because everyone's like, man, he's so well-educated. Man, he's so wise. Notice that what made Jesus different than every other religious figure was is when he spoke, there was authority behind him. He took authority over oceans and demons and, and darkness. He, he walked and he talked as someone that had authority. And in a moment of faith, he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, Paul says, to come out of her. And a great moment of faith happens. This little girl goes back to her right mind. Her masters, her owners go, oh my gosh, our winning lottery ticket's gone. They got so angry that they arrested Paul and Silas. 
they got a mob fired up. They started stripping off Paul and Silas's clothes, started beating them profusely because they realized that their money, their, their winning lottery ticket was gone. And they arrested him. They threw him into prison, the inner prison. And this is crazy. Not only were they in inner prison, the, the jailer put him in inner prison in stocks. You study historical context, you will find these stocks were so tight, so uncomfortable that many prisoners, it would actually break their pelvic bones. It was that much pain. And this is crazy. What happened to them, Mark? They experienced favor, experienced faith. What happened next? They experienced what, unfortunately, we have to be honest about in church, is there was a season of conflict. We don't, we don't get excited about this. Mark, you're saying there's going to be conflict in my life? I'm just saying, in life, if you've lived long enough, you will see some conflicts. Notice that Joseph experienced favor. Remember his dad? Gave him a Michael Jackson jacket. It was a coat of many colors. His brothers got so mad at his favor that Joseph experienced conflict. What happened to Elijah? He called down fire, favor, faith. 24 hours later, he was suicidal. God, take my life. Noah experienced favor, built a floating zoo and saved the world. Gets off the boat, gets completely drunk. You look at David, inherited the promises, the prophetic words of his youth, gets to the promised land and commits adultery and murder. What are you saying, Mark? I'm saying that many times in life, after a wave of favor, after a wave of faith, after obeying a dream, there's usually some sort of just conflict. I don't know why. I'm not sure what for, but I know this. God can use conflict. Write this down. Opportunities usually come disguised as problems. Opportunities usually come disguised as problems. And they're in a season of conflict. What happens to conflict people, Mark? It leads to some, where some of you are at this morning. You don't know where I'm at. I, I know where some people are at this morning. I know why you came to church today. Number, number six, I believe it is, is you're in a low place. You know where Paul and Silas were? They were in jail. They were in severe pain. They were bloody from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. Probably had broken ribs. They were in the stocks. They were in severe pain. They're, they're being arrested in an inner prison with like murderers, serial killers, with the, with the worst of the worst. And they're in prison for doing the right thing. Can I just talk to someone just for a moment? You ever felt like you did the right thing and you got murdered for doing it? This is crazy. They did the right thing. They cast out an evil spirit. And what happens to them? They get thrown into prison with a bunch of killers. They're bleeding. They're in a low place. Some of you are like, Mark, I'm not in a low place physically. But some of you are in a desperate place. Low places are places that we get discouraged it's, it's a low place is somewhere, maybe where some of you are at, that you're addicted to things over and over again. Trying to get away from this, man, every time conflict happens, I run back to my low place. Every time I get stressed out, I run back to my low place. Some of you have never gotten out of the low place since someone died, since tragedy struck. Some of you are still blaming God for where you're living because of what the conflict was, how, how you responded to it, and how you spent the last 10 or 20 years of your life in a low place. Some of you think the only place in life is a low place. But I want you to know that there are valleys in life, but there's also mountains. God's desire is to get you through the valley, to get you up to a place that you can meet with him on the mountains. Can I get an amen in here today? So you are here, you're like, Mark, I don't know what's going on in my life. I've got good news for you today. That God does some of his best work when you're in trouble. He's in a low place. I love this about God. David says, you are my very present help. In time of trouble, 
in time of need. Mark, what do you do when you're in a low place? It leads me to point seven. I'm almost finished today. Is you trust God. What did Paul and Silas do? Mark, what do you do as a pastor? You're like, you're a vocational Christian. What do you, what do, you do when you're in a low place? As the band comes up. What do, what, do, what do like Christians do? What do pastors do when they're, hey, can I ask you a question, Mark? Do pastors have low places? I think you'd be shocked. Some of you are like, Mark, I have all of the economy against me. I'm like, well, we have that, plus we have all the hell. Church is a unique vocation. It's the only vocation assigned to the earth that's responsible for the salvation of the, of the masses. I tell you, the Bible says if you strike a shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. One of the devil's favorite way to ruin the church is to attack pastors. One of the greatest enemies of, of pastors is discouragement. It's division. It's, it's depression. What do, what do pastors do, Mark? Because I'll be honest with you, I think sometimes God lets pastors taste things so that we effectively know how to pastor the people we're leading. What do you do when you're in a low place? I'll answer your question today. I do what Paul and Silas did. My wife and I will grab hands, we'll turn on worship music in our house, and we'll begin to pray, and we'll begin to praise God. You know what's interesting about humanity is there's a, there's a stigma in America today that says, Mark, why would you trust God when you don't understand what he's doing? Let's just go to the root of this real quick. I want you to know that trust is not based upon your understanding. And if you're going to wait to understand God before you trust him, you probably never will trust God. Because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You know what I love? Mark, what's the problem? Why can't I understand God? Because here's the problem. You have an eight-pound brain. Well, I'm really smart, though, Mark. I got more degrees than a thermostat. I'm smart. Can I remind you that it took you two years, two years, to throw out a couple sentences? Mama, dada, baby, hungry. <laughs> My daughter doesn't even say yes. She's two, doesn't say yes. She just goes, huh. You hungry? Huh. You love mom and dada? Huh. Took you two years to spit out some syllables. Took you five years to learn how to tie your shoes. Took you, I was going to say 16, but we live in Idaho. Took you 12 years to learn how to drive. (laughs) Took you 18 years to get a piece of paper that says you're average. Took you four years longer to get a piece of paper that says you're smarter than most. And you think at 25 or 39 or 47 or 58 or 75 that you figured out the God that's always been? Can we just stop insulting God? Well, I'm very smart. I have a degree. I went to school. I was educated by other human beings. Can I let you know that God has no made-in sticker on the side of him? He has no birthday. He has no childhood inspirations. He has no one that's inspired him. He's never had an epiphany. He's never said this phrase, I never thought of that. We serve a God that knew everything from the beginning. He saw the end from where he started. Lives outside of time and space. Before there was a problem, he knew the solution. Before there was languages, he knew how to communicate. He's not bilingual, trilingual. He's omnilingual. He speaks every language on the earth. 
He speaks the language of the rocks. He speaks the language of healings. If he can talk to frogs, he can talk to cancer. Are you following me today? He speaks to all tribes, all nations, all tongues. I'm like, if you're going to give God a hand clap, give him a hand clap today. This is the God we serve. Why are you all excited, Mark? Because I just think too many human beings don't give the credit that God deserves. I experienced tragedy, Mark. Bad things happened to me. Well, I got news for you. A God that can be fully understood is a God that's too small to be completely trusted. And if you can understand everything about God, he's no longer God. Can I let you on a, on a big secret? We're going to live forever. Forever. And let me just tell you how big our God is. That throughout the halls of eternity, you will never figure out all of God. You learn something good about God, every, new about God every day. I learned this new revelation about God today. You can learn a new revelation about God every second of every day of your life for eternity, and you will never touch God's depth. This is how big he is. And that's why I would suggest to you that Paul and Silas, in the worst moment of their life, begin to sing. We trust you, we trust you, we trust you, we trust you. Lord, we love you, we love you. God, you're good. God, you're good. God, you're good. Lord, you're good. They begin to sing. I love the angels are probably looking down going, these guys, they get it. Prisoners thought they were crazy until guess what? An earthquake shook the jail. And guess what happened when they prayed and they praised? Not only did they get free, but everyone that was around them got free. Can I just tell you that people watch you the most when you're in your lowest places. It says all the prisoners were watching those two men. And you know what I love? It says after they trusted God, they got out. What's the moral of the story? God's into outcomes. He's into outcomes. We know that if they didn't obey a dream, watch what happens, I'm almost done. Jailer never gets saved, never gives his life to Jesus. If the jailer didn't get saved, guess what? His family wouldn't have became Christians. Big deal, Mark, that seems like a lot of hell to go through for one family. I want you to know God would have done it if it was just one family. But to prove a point, you know what he did? Is he knew strategically that this jailer historians and scholars would tell us, would go on to be discipled. The jailer would be begun to get discipled by Paul's right-hand man, Dr. Luke. You know Luke, the one that wrote the book of, yeah, smart people in here. You know Luke that wrote the book of Acts? The one that wrote this story? Luke himself would disciple this jailer. And history would tell us that this jailer would go on to become the pastor of the first church in the great city of Philippi. Philippi would be then what Los Angeles is now. You can say this way. Think about this. If Paul didn't obey a dream and go through conflict and experience faith, favor, and all the low moments, guess what would have happened? He never would have penned the book of encouragement, the book of Philippians. Which, by the way, we're going to start that series next week. Isn't it interesting that Paul was beaten bloody and while he's writing to the church from prison again, by the way, he writes the book of encouragement. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I wonder if Paul's thinking about when he was bloody and in prison, thinking about the hell he went through, smiling, going, and remember this, that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. I wonder if he wrote Philippians because Philippians was birthed out of a low moment. 
I believe some of your greatest moments of influence will be birthed out of your lowest moments. Mark, I'm at rock bottom. Good news. The rock is the best thing to build on. What do you do at rock bottom? You begin to build. What do you build? Faith. What do you build? Come on, you build trust. What do you build? Hope. What do you build? Love. Are you following me today? We're going to build. He is a God that's interested in outcomes. Mark, you're intense. I'm sorry. I'm fired up, man. Almost killed me last week in Las Vegas. I could have been driving down the strip. I was supposed to eat at a restaurant right next to Mandalay Bay. Literally. I would have been there exactly. I would have been walking out of the restaurant at the time of the shooting. Maybe driving down the strip across the road. Literally, it was, it, was, it was a God moment. I was like, let's go to my favorite restaurant. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, on the way there, I'm going, nah, let's go to In-N-Out Burger. Thank God for In-N-Out. Come on. Thank God. It was the voice of the Lord. Stand your feet with me today. About finished. I don't know who you are, but I know this, that God's in the season that you're in right now. I don't know where you're at, but I know this. God wants to give you a dream today. Jesus speaks the language of dreams and visions. I love this. Obedience is our job. Outcome is God's job. I don't know what's going to happen if I obey God, but I know that if I obey God, something is going to happen. Something's going to happen today. Some of you have been stuck for 10 years because you haven't obeyed God. You know what God will do? He loves you so much. He'll always take you back to where you obeyed him last. Isn't that a good parent right there? I'm not going to give you the keys to the car until you learn how to parallel park. Not anymore, right? We have smart cars that park for us now. But back in the day, you couldn't get your license until you drove stick shift. Can you not tell irresponsible be of God to go, hey, I'm going to give you your license even though you don't know how to use the brakes. I know you didn't obey me back then to hit the brakes, but I'm going to take you up on goodwill. Here's a driver's license. God will always take you back to what you learned last until you obey his voice. I don't know who you are, but I feel like someone's going to get a dream right now. I'm almost done. Someone's going to get a, 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 an area of your life. I'm going to obey God. I don't care if you're old or you're young. You're never too young to obey God. Never too old to obey God. And there's going to be a favor that comes on you today. There's going to be a faith that comes on you today. Some of you are in conflict, and you're going to get through the conflict in the low place because we're going to trust God through prayer and praise. Would you close your eyes all over the room? I feel the presence of God. Feel his presence. Holy moment holy moment right now. Can I ask you a question today? Are you here today and you say, Mark, I want to live for God's dream. Maybe you let go of his dream. Maybe you never had his dream. You say, Mark, I want God to give me a new dream even today. Maybe for the first time or a new dream. Would you just lift your hands towards heaven? God, I'm open to your dreams. Would you speak to me in visions and dreams that are bigger than I am that would help other people? Help me not to get complacent. I heard that tragedy is succeeding at things in life that don't matter. God, I don't want to succeed at what doesn't matter in life. I want to dream your dreams. Would you say today with your hands lifted to say, God, I receive your dream. Speak to me, God. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.